Um, we did have a great time at um, VBS this uh, week, and uh, I was the most hated character in the deal. Um, the setup, uh, for, well, first of all, I'd be remiss without um, touching on a couple points. First of all, this could not have happened without Magda, and she starts this work. She starts this work months and months ago, and she pulls it all together, and she picks the people to play the roles and how it works. I don't know. It, it feeds into my belief in the sovereignty of God because somehow it works every year even better than the year before. And then Pastor was a youth pastor this week. I've never seen it before. He was playing the guitar. He was dancing. So it was a real big shout-out to Pastor. He came through as a youth pastor. and I didn't know he had it in him. But anyways... Our role, we, each of us had a different role. First of all, here's Mary, who's Mary, the mother of God, and they would come to Mary's house every day. And the way they would do it is we'd have a rotation where each group of kids had a different, you know, staggered rotation. Some would go to the marketplace, some would go to games, some would come to Mary's house. So each one of them visited each one of those places every day, and their group leaders would take care of them and marshal them through and have teaching sessions at the beginning and the end. So Teaching just didn't happen at Mary's house. It happened each step of the way. So, you know, all the, everybody worked at a tremendous job. But Mary would sit there with all these kids who had visited her house, and I was the annoying neighbor who would come in and be a pharisaical Jew and not believe anything she was saying. And the kids pretty much hated me, um, Eli. And then our good friend, the Latvian, was, um, doesn't he look like a Jewish rabbi? He, he did a great job. Well, he was a rabbi. He was a doubter like me, but he garnered a little more respect because I was just the annoying neighbor. So um, I'm going to let Mary tell you a little bit about what happened every day as the kids came in. First of all, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to be the mother of Jesus. It was a very, very, very great experience, and I learned from it too. Uh, was, my heart was shaking. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but thank you, Lord. We did a good job, and the kids learned. I was representing the mother of Jesus. Uh, the kids learned how Jesus was supposed to be born, or how he born, and how God provided a family for him. And he provided a name. He, he learned, they learned about the Passover, and uh, he go to the temple, how he got lost, and how he, he cared about people, and how he served about, about others and how he helped the hostel of the wedding in Cana. So all about serving and help each other and love each other and how his, his name, the name of Jesus, what means, they learned that Jesus means God saved. So um, thank you for the opportunity and thank you again. Well, I, I've got to say that Rosa did a fantastic job. The kids loved Rosa. I think a lot of it had to do with how annoying and mean I was to her that they felt they needed a defender, but they really connected with her. You did a fantastic job. Finally, the kids loved him, too. At the very end. <laughs> um, now, our Jewish rabbi, what'd you do? Well, I had the privilege to sit in synagogue school for a lot of time and observe and listen and watch what the kids do and what they learn. And then um, 
I started to walk around and ask questions because as a rabbi, I had access to all the scrolls and everything that's been written about God and Messiah, but I wasn't sure about that guy, Jesus, much so. So I was going to kids and asking questions, and I'll ask those questions again. Did you like the Jesus, the guy Jesus? Do you still like him? Yes. Yeah. Um, do you like all the miracles that he did? Yes. Why do you think that he did the miracles, for himself or for other people? Why? Did he like everybody? Yes. Well, if he liked everybody, did he care about everybody around him? Yes. Well, he cared about everybody around him. Did he care about you? Yes. Does he still care about you? Yes. Do you think that Jesus would care about me even though I did not really believe in him? Yes. And would he love me? The same way how he loves you? Yes. Wow. What do you think that, that Jesus would care about even Eli? Yes. And love him? Yes. Well, your answers, <laughs> your answers are very sure and true and very powerful. And they made me and Eli change our mind about Jesus. And I think we both decided that we need to start trust him, believe in him, and follow him. Would that be a good decision? Yeah. Well, thank you, kids. You know, VBS is, in my opinion, the most important ministry we do in this church. Um, we, we've had people stay in our church because they were students at VBS at one time. But I, I kind of equate being in VBS like joining the mafia. You can get in, but you can never get out. Um, I, my dear friend Kurt Mountain many years ago said, hey, just try it this one time. You could be my helper, and you're in. So, Rosa, sorry. <laughs> you're in for life. And, and, and all this nonsense, you're not doing it next to your magna, just keep telling yourself that. Okay. Now, oh, and there's another thing I forgot. It was Magda's birthday yesterday during VBS. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. You know, I, I kind of see Magda like the Peyton Manning. You know, she has to know what everybody's doing. I just have my job, you know. And it, it's, a, it's a tremendous burden, and she takes it on with joy. She takes time off work on, on her nickel to do it. So thank you, Magda. It wouldn't have worked without you. Now, again, VBS is an incredible ministry. Um, every VBS, we teach some part of the Bible. But this VBS was extra special because we taught just about Jesus. And there's no other thing in the Bible that is 
surpasses the, the importance of Jesus. Every bit of a Bible is about Jesus. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, points to the cross. From Genesis to the cross, it points to the cross. From the cross to Revelation, it points back to the cross. The cross is a central theme of the entire Bible. And studying Jesus is central to that. Now, again, the way it worked every day is I would go into Mary's house obnoxiously and start mocking and throwing all of the arguments you hear from people who don't believe in God and believe in Jesus. And now, see, of course, I was a Jew, so I believed in Yahweh, but I, I of course, had big problems with this Jesus thing. And I was amazed at how solid the kids were in their faith. No matter what I said, they would not be shaken. In, in fact, um, this one day ripped the heart right out of my chest, quite frankly. Um, there was... A young guy, I think it was Dylan. Is he here? The guy with the long hair? I'm right. Anyways, it was early on, very respectfully, but he looked up at me right behind. He said, you are disrespecting God. And I was. That was what was the role. But it ripped the heart out of my chest that this kid's like, stop. You know, Jesus is real. Stop this nonsense. Well, thank goodness the, the character evolved, and by the last day, I was converted. Um... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Even Eli. I'm still a little disappointed when, they, when he asked if the rabbi was saved. They were all, yeah, they, even Eli. Yeah, I guess. Um, but the message of the Bible is clear. Faith in Jesus is the only thing that brings you salvation. Faith in Jesus is the only thing that brings you salvation. That's it. Let's say it together. Faith in Jesus is the only thing that brings you salvation. If you learn anything in your Christian walk, learn that. No matter, no religion ever saved anybody. No church doctrine ever saved anybody. No amount of good deeds you've ever done has ever saved anybody. Jesus Christ and Jesus alone and his sacrifice on the cross is what saved you. Period. That's theology. It doesn't matter. All the other stuff we try to wrap around it. That is the central issue. And that's where the kids learned it in, in uh, VBS this week. Now, of course, you're always going to hear, well, what about all the law stuff? And I, and I was telling the kids about the law. I was telling them about Torah, the first five books of the Bible. I told them what we believed, that only Jews that followed the law get saved. Because that's what it used to be before Christ came and changed it all. And... Why does it happen that way? Because there are only two ways to get to heaven. Either you are holy or you're made holy. Guess what? We're not holy. God does not grade on a curve. If you violate a single law of God's, you're doomed. The only way that you are not doomed is when you get to the foot of the cross and ask Christ for his graciousness. What happens there is the great exchange. Christ on the cross took upon himself the punishment for everything we've ever done. And not only that, he gave you his perfect life to put into your bank account. So when you stand before God, you're wrapped in Christ's righteousness. And that's what our kids learn. You think of the majesty of heaven, God the Son himself, coming down to this horrible planet at a horrible time, taking on human flesh and limiting himself that way 
so that he could live a perfect life to save us is beyond anybody's comprehension. But that's what Christ did. And any verse you read in the Bible that you see in conflict with that, you've read that verse wrong. Because that is the message of the Bible. That's the story. So um, we're going to go ahead and look at a few verses, very familiar verses, but verses we should never forget. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does anybody come to the Father except through Jesus? No one comes to the Father. 3, 16, 17, we kind of know that, but think about it. And 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did Christ come to condemn us? Christ came to save us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Is anybody who believes in him condemned? But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Acts, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Is there some other name under heaven that we can be saved? Is there some church dogma that's going to save us? There you are. Thank you, kids. You paid attention. I like that. Because if, okay, this is, this is my, the greatest theologian in the Bible is a guy named Paul. We all know Paul. Paul wrote Romans. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe him in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so what is he saying? Believe and believe that he raised him from the dead. Believe that he died for your sins. That belief saves you. All the good work you do in the world is not going to save you. And the kids got that. The, the, the unwavering faith of these kids was amazing to me. Now, there's an issue that happened after Paul. Now, see, Paul, Paul was not mincing words here. This is, the, this is how Paul planted churches. He went to these Jewish legalists like Eli, like Rabbi. We just called him Rabbi. Did you ever have a name? Wow. Um, like Rabbi and like Eli. They believed in the Torah, and they believed the Torah told them that if you're Jewish, that's step one. If you're Jewish, you could be saved. If you're, if you're Jewish and followed the law, you could be saved. Just being Jewish wasn't enough. Well, quickly, that thinking went into the Christian church. And they said, okay, yeah, Jesus is great. If you believe in Jesus, you're saved. If you believe in the cross and do all this stuff. So, Paul went to a place called Galatia, and all you students of the um, book of Acts, you see all the cool towns there that are are mentioned many times. Hey, boys and girls on the lower right-hand side, who was from Tarsus? There we go, Saul. Saul of Tarsus became Paul. You see Ephesus. Well, Galatia, that's modern-day Turkey. Galatia is right in the middle, and Paul set up churches in Galatia, and he got them on board. Jesus Christ and him crucified alone is your way to salvation. What happened? The Judaizers came in, and they come in every church. They come in this church. They come in every church in the world. They come and they say, oh, yeah, the cross is great. The cross is important, but you need to also follow the Mosaic law, 
follow this law, follow that law. And Paul, when he heard about this, was outraged. If you read the book of Galatians, it is the most angry book Paul ever wrote. In fact, in the beginning, where they usually said, you'll see most of his letters say, hey, church in you know, Ephesus, good, my brothers in Christ. He just said, from Paul to Galatia, I am really mad at you. <laughs> and he was. And he, you know, he, he got very harsh in the book. But he was so upset that they added to the cross. And he said, the cross and anything after and is a lie no matter what good thing it was. He said it is the cross and the cross alone that saves you, not the cross and anything. And the way he explained that, very quick in the book, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace from, of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, we preach, let him be accursed. And now, in these days, and especially in Bible times, whenever you repeated something, that was big. So what's he say? As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul could not have been more clear about this. It is the cross that saves you. It is the cross alone. When you come to Christ, you are changed. You don't act really nice and be a good boy and then God accepts you. You come as a broken, filthy sinner before God. You confess that he is Christ. Then you are changed. Your change is a result of the salvation you've already been given as a gift from God. And then your life changes and you start acting properly. That's how it works. And we, where we get that backwards, you know why we get it backwards? Because we want to be in control. We want to be the one in the driver's seat. He's in the driver's seat. Surrender to him. Okay, now, there is a story of a Christian, actually the first Christian. And he was a no good, loser, thieving, thief on the cross. And as he hung on that cross, he saw his Messiah. He wasn't an Adventist. He wasn't a Baptist. He wasn't a Presbyterian. He was a broken, loser, sinner. And as the crucifixion went on, at first he said, hey, get us out of this mess, man. And that didn't happen. But as he watched Christ, he got to the point where he said, Lord, Remember me in your kingdom. He didn't even ask for anything. He said, you know, put in a good word for me. Remember me. And Christ said, I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. It is that thief who really gives us a glimpse of what coming to Christ is all about. He had nothing. He had nothing to bring other than his broken soul. And God took care of him. Well, this year, uh, this last thing on our Tuesday night Bible study, we did a book called Name Above All Names. And it was written by Alistair Begg and Sinclair Ferguson, two great Scottish pastors from the long line of, um, from the Reformation to now, from John Knox to now, who, you know, wrote a magnificent book. And each chapter gave us a different name, the Lamb of God, Son of Man, Suffering Servant. We went through each chapter. Well, we came upon a part where Alistair Begg, I, I, I know their style, so I know Alistair Begg wrote this part. And I'm going to have Brett come up and read it. 
and he kind of encapsulated it. It was one of the most moving times during our class. So I think this explains it far better than I ever could. This is an image of, Christ, of, of what would happen if, if uh, the thief got an interview for a church. He had never had a church membership interview. There was no time. But can you, using your imagination, hear an interviewing angel asking him the vital questions? Have you been justified by faith? I'm sorry, I have to stop you right there. Have you been justified by faith? Now, for a casual reader of the book, you wouldn't understand the significance of that question. The authors of the book come from the Reformed Church, and nothing, nothing to the people who come from the Reformation is more important than the doctrine of justification by faith. In fact, Martin Luther said, justification by faith is the article upon which the church stands or falls. So, you know, when I was reading it, I go, yeah, good question, Thief. How are you going to answer that one? Um, but li listen how they handled it in, in their self-effacing way that they said, that really isn't the important question. Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure what that means. I don't think I have ever heard that expression before. Well, I have to go to one of my supervisors because there may be a problem here. More questions, but then the issue is resolved when the thief speaks again. All I know is that I was on the cross at Jesus' side. I was guilty. I was in agony. I was dying, and I was angry. And of all things, I heard people talking about him, saying he had claimed to be the Messiah. Well then, I thought, get us out of this mess. But I watched him and listened to him. Then I heard some of them spit out the word Savior, and it dawned on me. This man had done nothing wrong. He was dying because of other people's sins. It just hit me. I don't quite know how. He is the Messiah, but he's dying because of other people's sins. And his name is Jesus, and I knew that meant Savior. So I turned to him, knowing there was nothing I could do to pay back the debt of my sins. And I asked him, Jesus, will you bring me into your kingdom? Would you be my Savior? Would you be my sin-bearer? Would you be the Lamb of God who takes away my sin? And Jesus said to me, You will be with me in paradise. The only reason I am here is that Jesus was on the middle cross. I know he died for sinners, and he promised me I could come into his kingdom. What are you going to say on that day? The thief gave the only answer that opens heaven to us. Jesus died for me. So at the end of VBS, the kids, actually going into VBS, the kids got that. I, I, I often wonder, what happens between here and here that that gets messed up? Because that is the purity of the message. Christ said, unless you come to me as one of these, you have no place with me. They get the purity of that message. We get too smart, don't we? We, we, we study theology, we get too smart, but... They get it. And, I, and kids, I want to thank you for your unwavering faith, no matter what I said, and yelling at Eli for being an unbeliever and calling him out. And, and you will have to face Eli's your whole life. And the fact that you stood tough and you did not waver, don't ever let go of that. And don't ever forget the simplicity of the message. Thank you.